Welcome to another episode of the Powerless to Powerful Recovery podcast. My name is Jason. I'm an alcoholic and addict. As always, our mission is to share experience, strength, and hope across multiple media platforms. The story of addiction and the road to recovery. We are not affiliated with Alcoholics Anonymous or any other 12-step based organizations or groups in any way. On today's episode, I have a very, very dear friend of mine. You know, I like to bring on recovery all-stars. I like to bring on my team because recovery is a team sport and these are my guys. And today it's a very special moment after everything that I've been through. Today's episode, I have the real addict named Ron Carter Jr. I'm a real addict named Ron. That is correct. <laughs> when we used to go to meetings, that's how you used to say it. Real addict named Ron Carter Jr. Well, I stole it from Cody. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm going to steal that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. And yeah. so, you know, when I say this is like a very special moment, because, you know, we met back in 2018. And, you know, every time I have bring somebody on, I always like to start with how we met, get your perspective on that. And then ultimately, you know, the journey leads up to to where we are today, the miracle of it. So I hope you guys tune in for all the listeners all across the world. I just appreciate all your support. Leave comments, like my stuff, share it. Um, but ultimately, carry the message, man. We're trying to bring a message of hope, extend that helping hand out there for those who are still struggling. But I got Ron Carter on here today, Ron C. And um, it's a proud moment for me. So I met Ron in, in uh, 2018. I was and shout out to Miss Franz. Um, yeah, and big shout uh, out to Miss Franz. Yeah, big shout out to Miss Franz. And we met in 2018. So I was teaching a drug class, the moderate substance abuse drug class for the listeners who've listened to all the episodes. You know, I've shared about it previously. It was a six month class. And and during this period of time, I mean, we covered everything from, um, you know, triggers, relapse, prevent. I mean, the whole nine, we covered all of it. And so there was a point in time, you know, anyone who's ever done any prison time, every time February rolls around and we know it's the beginning of the, uh, you know, Senate bills and we always think we're getting 65 percent. They're going to change the amount of time yeah. in the Senate bills. And, and they're going to take the tobacco. It, <laughs> yeah. It's just the talk of the town. Everybody right. wants to know about it. So my mom, a uh, shout out to mom and, and, you know, my wife, they were part of a prison advocacy group and they were speaking, um, you know, on our behalf, lobbying for us to get better senses, to get reduced senses, to get better treatment. You know, my, and my, my mom, my my wife did this for the whole seven years that I was gone. They were there. They spoke to senators and they really did their thing. Well, it got out on the yard that, you know, my family was involved in this. So I became the go to guy. And so I had everybody on the yard asking me about this shit all the time, nonstop. It was constant. And so I decided to use it as a tool. So one day we're in moderate treatment group and Ron's in, in my class. And, you know, Ron, in the beginning, he only wanted to come because he had to come. He was a little salty about that. I'll let him share about that. And uh, and so we're going around the room and I tell Ms. Franz, look, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to see where they're really at. If the if they let let you out tomorrow, are you ready? What type of action are you taking in your recovery? So I went around the room one by one. We got about 20 guys in the group and I go around to each individual one by one. And I say, what type of action are you doing for your recovery? What are you doing to make changes to ensure that if you got out, you're going to be ready, you're going to stay out and you're going to make it this time. What are you doing? Tell me what action steps you're taking. And so we went around the room and ultimately I got to Ron and I say, you know, what action steps are you taking? And you're like, mm. I'm coming to class. You're like, I'm coming to class. I said, you have to be here. Ron. Right. I said, you got to be here. What are you doing outside of here? And I think you said, well, I'm going to, I, I what's my path of recovery is 12 step. And I'm like, right. oh, you're going to do that when you get out. Oh yeah. What's preventing you from doing it now. Right. right? And I hit you with that. And I say, you know, stump me. I stumped you with that. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it worked for a lot of guys, uh, Sean Warren, there's a couple guys, man. And, uh, 
and it really brought some reality to it. And I invited you to a meeting, man, and the rest is history. But what do you remember about that day? I remember. Here's what I remember. I was sitting in class. I was already salty because he said six months class. This is three times a week, two hours, three hours each time. Got to cross the yard. Got to get script out. Got to do all this other stuff. And then come back. That's just getting there, right? Walk through the metal detector. Then we got to wait on the officers to get us across the yard to get an escort. We got to get there. We got to get back before it's count time and all this other stuff. And so I'm already salty, right? I'm sitting in class and he's doing this thing. And it's right before it's it's 11 o'clock or something. And he tells me, or it's like 10, 10 o'clock. And he says, so what action are you taking, Ron? I said, well, I'm coming to this class. And I'm reading my big book. And he's like, oh, so you're reading your big book, huh? And he goes, what page are you on? I'm like, are are you serious, dude? What What's this have to do with anything, right? Well, it turns out that uh, after after I, I, I after that, um, you came up to me. You were like, you were real cool. Uh, I remember this. You were real cool about it. You're like, hey, man, there's a 12 step meeting. There's an NA meeting after after uh, tonight. I'll come get you, and we'll go together. And you said, all right. Yeah. Well, I was kind of on the spot now because now I got to take action, right? <laughs> right. Do, what do you remember it was like when you first walked into that meeting, that first meeting that that uh, was a Friday night meeting, wasn't it? It was a Friday night meeting. Yeah, it was the NA. It, it was, it was the NA. NA yeah. yeah. What was that like? Uh, at first, I, I I was nervous because I'd never put myself out there like this, and I'm thinking all sorts of crazy stuff. You know, mm-hmm. like oh, they're all going to gang up on me or whatever, whatever. But after, and I volunteered to read. Mm-hmm. I, I read something that day. I think it was Why Are We Here? Yeah. You know, and uh, and I'm sitting there, and I'm looking around and I see all these guys are happy. They all got smiles on their face, you know, and, and these dudes, I see bebopping around the yard, dude, like they ain't got to care. You know, they're, they're, they're in prison. How are they so happy? And then, and then when the meeting started though, that's when it struck me. Cause you heard some real things. You're- Not only real, but I could relate. Right. And so we can relate to those things. You know, it talks about the doctor's opinion. You know, we start to see these people and they become visual proof to us that this program works, that there's something there. You know, I found freedom in prison. I was the happiest I'd ever been for a period of time in prison. And, and, and keep in mind, that's away from my wife and my daughter. That's away from my mom and my dad. And I found inner happiness in there now out here today. And I get to have my family in my life and be present and aware. It's a, it's a whole nother level of happiness. But we found that there and you can see it on their eyes. But our journey doesn't start right there. No, right? No, I mean, no, our no, journey no, together does. Right. But your journey starts, uh, you know, way, way back when. So you were actually born in Springerville. It's a podunk town. Yeah. And I remember the reason why we moved is because the school brought or bought our little brick house. And when they went, because my dad didn't want to sell it, but we had nowhere else to, you know, they yeah. were either going to buy it or foreclose on it. Mm-hmm. So we sold it to him. And my dad, my dad will tell this story till the day he dies when they, put it on stilts and they moved it and it fell apart. It fell apart. <laughs> it fell apart. <laughs> so so you you lived in Springerville. You're about, you know, three to four years you lived out there, right? What was the family dynamic like though during that period of time? What was it like? Because I know you have seven siblings, but you have, you know, there are half half brothers and sisters. I've you got, have I've got three half sisters and one half brother. Okay. So you got a pretty big family now and yeah. uh, you know and you get to be that shining light for him today, dude. That's gotta yeah. be something special. It is. So what was the family dynamic like, though, growing up? Well, I remember dad. He was a hardworking man. And uh, all I know is he'd get up early in the morning. He was he was gone before. I, I'd get up with mom because mom uh, worked at the bar, mm-hmm. at the town bar. And when I got up early in the morning, she would still be up 
you know what I'm saying? Or doing, you know, doing what moms do after they get home from the bar at four or five o'clock in the morning from closing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or three or four or whatever. And I would watch Sesame Street, except yeah. for on Saturdays. That was Pac-Man Day, because I don't know if you remember, but remember the cartoon Pac-Man? I do. Yeah. we uh, Sanford and Son yeah. and, and all them. But uh, at that time, I really didn't. I, I had a little sister, but she was still she was still real, real little. And my, my younger brother wasn't born yet. Um, and my older siblings, I only saw my older brother, John, a few times because there was, he was, he was, he was one of the first Make-A-Wish guys. Mm-hmm. He's the one who got to meet Danny Wyatt, the foot, the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys of yeah. 19, whatever. And then he coached the Rattlers. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, he coached Rattlers. But my he, they actually flew him out because he was doing something he what was, was doing, the make a wish though for? He was dying of leukemia. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh okay. And uh, he he got a he got a jersey. I wish he would have kept it, man. I think it'd be worth millions now. But <laughs> he had a jersey signed by the whole team. Million dollars. A million dollars. <laughs> and uh, but you start to see at home, right? Like you know, mom's an alcoholic. Yeah. Right. Dad's got some issues. There's some abuse in the home. Trauma you're experiencing. Is there anything that going on? At that early age, I just thought it was natural, yeah, you know, spanking or whatever, you, whatever. You don't know any different, right? Not Especially when you're at that no. age. No. So that's kind of what you're experiencing there. And then, you know, I know your story. I've had the privilege of working with you, hearing it. You've been, you've done a, multiple speaker meetings in the last week. You're a shining light in the recovery community. We'll talk about that miracle at the end. But ultimately, you move uh, to North Phoenix. And life was good then, right? You're about six years old. Life's pretty good. What's, what's life is good look like for you? Well, my dad just... Got on with the sheet metal union because he's been in back and forth with them. That's what he was trained for out of the Navy. And I remember I, I shared a bedroom. I had bunk beds. This was the highlight. Woo-hoo! Yeah, yeah. I had bunk beds with my 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 younger brothers at this time. Is he's he's now around. Uh-huh. And uh, and my sister, of course, had her own room. And there was all these extra rooms. Or my grandma and, and my uncle stayed in. But we had a swimming pool. I had a best friend. We we were, I had the black BMX. He had the blue BMX. So I had the black lion of Voltron, and he had the blue lion. Yeah. And we would just go around. I mean, it was it was great. I went to Desert Winds Elementary. It was it was great. It was great. And then ultimately, you moved to the slope, sunny slope. Let's give a shout out to the sunny slope, yeah. the slopers, slope style. Go Vikings. Yeah. Go Vikings. Right. So you moved to sunny slope, and back then it was a different dynamic. It was what'd you call it? It was mini Thailand. Mini Thailand. It ain't that way anymore. It ain't that. No, it's like Guadalajara, Guadalajara Mexico, right? Yeah. Like you were saying. Yeah. But back then, I had a bunch of Vietnamese friends who were from uh, from v- from Vietnam, Vietnam yeah. uh, Cambodia, Laos, yeah. mm-hmm. and everything. And that's the majority of the school there. I was I was a uh, what do they call it? Uh, I was minority. I was a minority yeah. there at uh, Mountain View Elementary, but. What's crazy is, I don't know if it's crazy because you're highly intelligent, but during that period of time when you're in elementary school, you were on student, you were in student council, student council, fifth grade, I was student council treasurer, sixth grade, I was a, I was a student council uh, president, both fourth, fifth and sixth grade. I took project potential. So you were taking accelerated classes, advanced classes. classes. Everything was good for a period of time. And then you moved to Royal Palm. Middle, middle school, school yeah seventh and eighth grade yeah, we actually actually that seventh and eighth grade should be two years but <laughs> it's you liked three. it so much yeah. it was three for you well two and a half yeah. but who's keeping track <laughs> but uh i went i went from being a shining star everybody knew me i was you know i had a personality you know and i i, I had an air about the room and and 
the problem at home was getting worse with my mom. Uh, this is the woman that would throw beer cans at me and call me names, uh, be disrespectful. And all because finally I stood up to her one time. She said, Ron, go give me a beer. And I told her, no, I don't like it when you drink. Well, dad pounded on me and, and, you know, and I got the verbal abuse from my mom and, the, and it wasn't just verbal. It was mental. Sure. You know, cause it, at that age, it really fucks with your head because yeah. I, I went around school thinking I was ignorant. I didn't know what ignorant meant, but my mom called me ignorant yeah. and illiterate. Yeah. I can read just fine. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But I didn't know what these things meant and I let it affect me. Sure. And it's those, the trauma that we experience, the verbal abuse, mental, physical, every type of abuse. And we start to carry those things in our heart. And as we get older, you know, when we start to abuse drugs, we cause more harm to the people we love the most. Also, the internal harm, it's physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. All these things are happening. It's the perfect storm that that leads to a, a, an addiction that lasts. I mean, we're talking about decades of addiction, yeah. negative consequences, all that. Yeah. So you start using during that period of time. So you start using, and I know most people, you know, they'll. It's the progression, mm-hmm. but you go from right from weed right into right into methamphetamines. Oh, full throttle. Full throttle. Well, see, my, my I had a best friend, and it, her name her name was Angela. Mm-hmm. And her dad would run around with the Dirty Dozen. So I didn't. And so we're talking about bikers, right? We're talking about bi- real bikers. And Sunny Slope, that's where the bikers are. They're still out there today. Well, they're still out there, but I think they're underneath another patch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah they might be. Yeah. But uh, – it was it was ironic because I mean I would I would go over to her house and she'd be smoking with her mom and her dad or her brother and I would be there and they would offer it to me like I was a part of their family. Yeah. And then I found out, you know, because I gotta feed my marijuana habit that uh because you know I'm at this time I'm full blown weed addict, yeah. right? Yeah, Bob, <laughs> Bob Marley. I didn't have any money or whatever, so I had to go out and steal. She started boosting. Started well. I would steal your stuff. I didn't go to the store. Fuck that. That's yeah. too far. I had to yeah. walk that way. I would just go around the neighborhood, steal all garages and cars and car hopping and all that. Yeah, kind of stuff. whatever. And well, that's when her dad taught me: we you don't do it in your own neighborhood. You don't you know, shit in your own you, backyard. You don't shit in your own backyard. So but he still bought all the stuff. It yeah. didn't matter. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so you start using meth and, you know, we already know what comes with that. We start experiencing some consequences. The problems that were at home, mm-hmm. you know, become even greater. Multiply, they're, yeah. they're, they multiply and it continues to get worse. And and so ultimately you, you end up at Sunny Slope High School, right? Mm-hmm. You don't last very long there. How long were you in high school for? Well, I was a, a total of a year. Total. And that was that was both uh, freshman and sophomore year. A total a year. <laughs> total right? a year. Because in, in, in my my third year at junior high at, at uh, Royal Palm, they socially promoted me to ninth grade. Socially promoted you. So, that's what, what they that call it. Mean? Well, that probably means that I'm too old to be around their students, and I they didn't want my influence around them because I was still a knucklehead. Yeah, so they socially promoted you. <laughs> right. right. And they thought they were screwing me over because they were going to, oh, you're getting second lunch. I got high with all those dudes. I knew all those dudes. They're all the juniors and seniors. Yeah. They they were my they'd come over to my neighbor's house all the time. Yeah, so that made it easier. Fuck it. Yeah, made it easier. Right. And then you you end up dropping out, and so that's when the consequences really start. You start finding yourself in trouble, major consequences as a juvenile, Adobe Mountain, juvenile prison time, uh, Durango, everything that comes with that. And you were in and out of that for until you were eighteen, in and out, in and out. But do you remember what it was like? Because you know we talk about doing prison time. But what most people don't understand is doing juvenile time is actually way, mm-hmm. way more 
gangster, rough, if you want to call it, whatever, however you want to, you know, the terminology you want to use. But what was that like when you first stepped onto a juvenile prison? Well, I was when 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 I went to Adobe Mountain my first time, uh, I can still remember one two one nine seven is my K number, mm-hmm. uh, and they do the intake and everything. I'm taking off all my jewelry. I think I've made it because I get to, at that time I get to wear my own clothes. Yeah. So uh, I get I get to the intake pod, which was Enterprise at the time, and it's locked down. That's it. Oh shit. So. You know, and then we get to go to Chow, which Chow is bomb. I love Chow. Shout out to Chow, right? But uh, I'm having a problem because I I don't know who to identify with because my best friend growing up was black. Yeah, I've never been racist. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't believe in all that crap. Pick a side. Yeah, it was like I grew up in mini Thailand. You know, I had a lot of Vietnamese and Cambodian friends, whatever. But yet, my best friend at the time's dad's a biker. You know what I'm saying? So I was I was lost. So what happened at one time, uh, the pi- the Mexican nationals mm-hmm. were going to wanted to jump me and they did, they jumped me in the room, but when they tried to shut the door, they slammed my fingers in the door and I ripped it back open. And when I ripped it back open, they, yeah. And I went out there and I was, I was, I was leaking, bro. Yeah. I was leaking from the dome, yeah. but, uh, and I passed out on the floor. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, the fourth Rikers, which is a, a white supremacist yeah. ju- juvenile, yeah. whatever yeah. in there, yeah. uh, thought I th- saw that as a form of telling. Yeah, I guess I'm supposed to bleed bleed out in my room or whatever. Yeah. I don't I don't know how messed up I was. Yeah. So they tried to jump me in the shower. Yeah, that's great. One night, right? Well, the cop comes in and saves me. He's like, "What are you guys doing in here? Yeah. Beat it!" And the cop asked me, "Hey, what's going on?" I was like, "Ah, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. whatever." Because yeah. at this point, I'm like. Well, I, I can't tell them what's going on because then I'm a snitch. Yeah. I'm scared to death, though. Yeah. So, and I'll never forget this this officer's name. His name was Holmes, and he had a DJ. He had a club he yeah. ran back back in the day. And uh, he told me, don't worry about it, man. Don't worry about it. You're all right. He goes, do what you got to do, though. I was like, all right. So the next day, rumors going around on Saturday. And they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna send one of the rookie one of the recruits in on me so yeah. he can earn his little tattoo or whatever. Yeah. Well, I find out about it, and he comes lines up next to me in line while we're lining up in mm-hmm. Chow, and he's got his hands in his panty like he's gonna do something. And I just he's molly I just molly whopped that dude, and I wrap his hair because he's got long hair, and I wrap his hair in my hand, yeah. and I just start whack whack whack. Yeah. Well, nice. CMT gets there, crisis management team yeah. gets there, right, mm-hmm. and they you know. They separate us, and they're getting ready because I'm the aggressor. Yeah, they're getting ready to take me. Well, Holmes was there. He was like, "Oh no, 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 no! You take this one." Yeah, <laughs> he took him, and they left me. I mean, I was still locked down the rest of the day, but he's the one who went to the hole. Yeah. And so, did you get some respect after that? Yeah, I got left alone. Yeah, you got left alone after that, and that's kind of how it works, right? Like you gotta, you know, heart check if you will, earn your stripes. You gotta show that you're willing to commit violence, and that's the kind of lifestyle. I mean, we're talking about juvenile. So you have the trauma in your home, you have the abuse in your home, you got the consequences, you got the meth addiction, you got juvenile, you got the the fights, the physical violence, right? And this is the learned behaviors that now you're going to carry with you. And this carries with you for such a prolonged period of time. So you do this kind of dance in and out of juvenile until you're 18, right? The Um, last time I was at Adobe, I had my junior badge and they came in to do my little reclass. mm -hmm. And it was it was all surprising me. And the guy said, okay, well, I'm sending you home. And I'm like, okay, well, when am I going home? He goes, we're calling your dad right now. 
I was like, oh, wow, cool. And he goes, you're not, I'm not letting you come back, though. Yeah. This is it. And he wasn't lying about that. He wasn't lying. And so when we're in there, right, and are you telling yourself you're going to do something different when you get out? Absolutely. We always do that. Always. I haven't changed anything, but it's going to be different. Yeah, I don't know anything new, but I'm going to do new things. Yeah. If I want to do something different, I got to learn something different. Yeah. And it takes us a while to figure that out. And so ultimately, you're not out very long, and then you, you catch another case. I catch another case. Um, I was driving around a neighborhood because I, 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 I like to think I invented it, the whole steal from your open garage thing. Yeah. You know, I probably wrote the book on it, whatever. Uh -huh, but uh, uh -huh. so I get this badass Bianchi bike. This thing weighs like three pounds. It's fully decked mountain bike, yeah. whatever. And back then, that's mm -hmm. that was a high trade item, mm -hmm. right? So my friend steals his name. Well, this associate of mine, because I don't even like, I didn't even like this dude. Yeah. And, and now I know why. But yeah. uh, steals his neighbor's car. And we put the bike in there. And we're driving down Greenway. And we get to about 35th Ave. And a cop flashes him with his headlights well he just keeps on driving and, and and turns real quick like i don't know like a retard yeah and uh the cops swoop in right on us and he tells the guy dude all you had to do is turn on your headlights now can i i need to see your driver's license yeah. and proof of insurance and he's like oh i don't you know what whatever i don't know i i'm i'm barely 16 or 17 at the time yeah. i barely turned 17 yeah. and uh he's like I don't know. And then the cops walk away and he's telling me, hey, tell him it's your car. Tell him. I was like, you're out your fucking mind, bro. Yeah, yeah that ain't happening. Yeah, that's not happening. Yeah. Are you stupid? Yeah. And so ultimately you catch a case and, you know, when you left, they told you you weren't coming back here. Yeah. So you catch a case when you're 17 and they actually charge you as an adult. Yep. They charge you as an adult. And they didn't keep me in, in juvenile long at all. And so you went to upstairs, Madison Street Jail, Madison, sixth floor, sixth floor, getting charged as an adult, and you actually catch your DOC number, prison sentence. You go to prison when you're 18 years old. Yes, sir. That's got to be tough. Yeah, it, but things, the dynamics in prison then were a little bit different than they are now, or at least from the last time I got out. Yeah. Um, when I landed there, I had a bunch of white boys. Yeah. At the gate. And they grabbed my bag and everything, and they took me, they showed me where my what is. They helped me make my bed and everything, and then they gave me a care package with envelopes, some food, stamps, paper, and, that's when and some coffee. Take, they used to take care of the youngsters back in the day. Absolutely, it is definitely yeah. not like that anymore. So you catch about a year prison sentence, nothing major, but what ends up happening is now you feel like you've really arrived. You got a DOC number. <laughs> you yeah. get out. You go back to the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Ego. Yeah, I got a prison number now. Yeah. Juvenile time prison number. Yeah. And ego's on full hit. But you don't make it very long after that. No. What? Well, what had happened was um, <laughs> I, I met this chick. Oh, I met this chick. Yeah. Every and story she was starts an old out chick way. that I used to mess around with, mm -hmm. and. She's married and got like 10 kids or whatever, but I mean, whatever. <laughs> and uh, she winds up with me over at my parents' house because they got a nice house now out in Glendale. And uh, what happens, something happens, me and my brother get into it and I, I leave. Well, my dad calls the cops. I made it 30 days and then I violated. You made 30 days and you violated. Yeah. And you're back on the yard. Now you're out at Florence West. That used to be a violator's yard yeah. where they had just DUIs and they just had violators. That's it. And so that's actually where I got released from. Um, but uh, so you're out now. You do a, a violation. Mm -hmm. Just a quick little violation. Couldn't have been much time, right? 
Well, it turned out to be like six months or something because be of, because of the violation. Because back then you got the early kickout plus this, that, the other thing. Mm-hmm. Because they hadn't they hadn't reinstated they hadn't. Inst- it was like a, a year before they put the eighty five percent into effect. Right. But there was some weird. I don't know. It took a freaking mathematician to figure out your time on the yard, mm-hmm. and I remember because they had to have somebody on the yard do it. Yeah. They had to hire a guy to yeah, figure out the time hire, comp. Yeah. They, they had to hire a guy. Yeah. And that checks out. They still can't figure that yeah, out. Yeah, they still can't. I don't I don't see how they do it. But yeah. and so you end up doing a violation, and then I'm sure during this period of time you say, I'm not coming back. I'm not doing this. I'm gonna do something different. I'm gonna do I'm 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 not coming back, but I'm not gonna learn anything. I I'm not gonna learn anything. It's not me. I'm not the problem, dude. Yeah. I'm not the problem. It's Sunny Slope. It's my parents. It's everything it's, in between. It's the cops. It's everybody else's fault. And when mm. we get in recovery, why we can't start... they just understand? Yeah. <laughs> they don't get it. Yeah. Right. And I have to blame others for my problems because it allows me to continue my negative behavior. Absolutely. If it's your fault, then surely it's not my fault. And right. I'm only doing this because of what you've done. And when we work a thorough and honest four step, that's when we really get to see that we are the problem. And that's what it's all about, really, is understanding where the true problem lies. And so ultimately, man, uh, you get out and, uh, you know, you're right back in the game. Well, I get out, okay, from the violator's yard because something happened on the yard and whatever, and I got sent to the, I got sent to lockdown. I don't know. Long story short, I wind up at Rincon, okay, and I automatically, I don't know what it is, but they always stick me with the most political mother, the yeah. dude on the yard. Right, or the one that's got the most approved. So you go from Florence West to Rincon to Rincon, a four yard? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was I, level four yards, a max custody yard. Uh, it, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. And it's live. Yeah. It's live. We'll see back then it was. Yeah. Because the inmates were still out walking around. You still had day room. Yeah. You know, they'd still open the door. You could go in and run, yeah. you know, and all sorts of stuff. And they still had the huge soccer field. Yeah. Now it's a parking lot. Yeah. But uh, I get out this time. Okay, I get out from the hole because I, I end up finding my celly, whatever, because mm-hmm. he ain't going to talk to me like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and I, I earned a little props there. That's where I earned some ink. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was, you know, it was given to me, Yeah. you know? And uh, it was, it's nothing, it's all it says is good, Wood, because yeah. you got to have a brother co-sign for anything else. Yeah. And there wasn't a brother right. on, on uh, in lockdown at that the was time. Back, that was back when you actually had to earn your, your yeah. ink. And it wasn't like, you know these guys go to the hole now and you know for the for the listeners out there it's you know for the political prisoning the you know um that identifies the type of work you've done i mean you got to earn letters you got to each each symbol means that you've committed some type of crime if you will violent you know, crime, violent crime yeah, right yard and, right but now it's got to the point where it's so watered down that everyone's got this political ink you end up in the hole right and you got yeah. a tat you got a celly that does tattoo work now he tattoos all the political ink yeah on you. You so know, when he hit the yard, because there's no way, I don't no care way. what anybody says, they're not checking. They're not, there's nobody with a cell phone sitting on the other yard you came from yeah. that's got the number to the cell phone on the yard you're at. Yeah, that not, don't happen. Nah, it's not a thing. It's not It's not a thing. But you end up getting released. You get released from Rincon, and um, you know you come back, and now ego's on a whole nother level. Mm-hmm. And so when you come back, um, that's when you, you meet your ex-wife, right, during yes. this period of time. So again, so you, you get out and it's, you know, your ex-wife, we talk about your ex-wife and I know you got a, you know, a couple kids with her, right? Yeah. yeah. And so when we've talked about this previously, right? <laughs> I'm like, oh, you got two kids with her. You're like, yeah, we got, we got separated. And then I came back for more. Yeah. I came back for more. Yeah. I didn't learn the first time. You didn't learn for the first time. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> 
And so you get out, man, and uh, you meet your ex-wife and it doesn't take you very long before you're back in prison. But before you go back to prison on this sentence, mm-hmm. right, there's been a couple sentences, yeah. right? Four. Four prison sentences. <laughs> Four to be precise. Yeah, to be exact. I'm keeping track of it. And uh, what's that time period, though, like? You know, what happens? You get out, you meet your ex-wife, is well, right back into drug use. Well, when I get out, I'm doing things differently this time, though. So like I did on Yard Crew, I'm out there sweeping my parents' driveway and doing the rock you know, the yard crew stuff, you know, to the front yard. My mom's like, are you, well, she goes, why don't you get a real job? Right. <laughs> so I get a real job and, uh, and I'm freaking, uh, I'm doing, I'm doing sheet metal and, um, I'm trying to join the military at this time. I'm on the delayed entry program for the Navy. Mm-hmm. And your dad's a retired, he's retired Navy. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, uh, he's, yeah, he earned, he earned, he was in Nam though. So yeah. he's in some real shit. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I quit working because, you know, that's a solution, right? Because yeah. I got to go full time on this. And then on top of that, well, I, I need to do drugs in order to, you know, what I don't know what I was thinking. But to, well, you so, weren't thinking. I, I wasn't thinking at all. But I met my ex-wife. It was supposed to be a one night stand. And it was <laughs> for the most part. But I was sitting off into the bathroom to get high. Yeah. And she she's no dummy. Yeah. We but, always think we're so slick, too. Well, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> If you would only, if you would only not be as smart as I think, as I want you to be, yeah. we'd be okay. But uh, she ends up, she's supposed to go to Louisiana or something, and somehow she gets turned around and she comes back. She lives with me at my parents' house, and uh, that's when she gets pregnant with my daughter. And we were sitting in the room one time, and I used, to, I, 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 back when I first started chewing tobacco. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the bottle. Yeah. Everybody knows how the bottle works. Yeah. So, you know, spitting in the bottle. Well, we were arguing about, I, I wanted to go get, it, basically I wanted to go get drugs. And she was like, are you fucking stupid? Yeah. And she hits me in the face with my chew bottle with the open cap and splashes me in the face yeah. with this chew spit. Right. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like that. Backhander. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, cops got called. Yeah. They don't like that either. No, they don't like that. Yeah. And Ron goes to jail. So you caught another case. Caught another case. Domestic violence case. Domestic violence. And they send you to prison again. Yeah, because they're done. They're, the probation, all this stuff in, in between, it, it's just not. It, from juvenile to now, they're like, no, nah, we're done. Yeah, you're not a candidate for probation anymore. <laughs> never. No, never. No, never. <laughs> that ain't happening. <laughs> Ever. Yeah. Straight to prison. So you catch a two and a half of your prison sentence, and they send you out to Safford. And, you know, mm-hmm. we've talked about you already being in juvenile. We've talked about you, um, you know, catching your prison number when you're, you know, 18 years old, getting tried as an adult, mm-hmm. um, going to prison, um, ending up on a four yard. And then we talked about, you know, um, violating the Florence West, the four yard. And so during all these prison sentences, including the Safford prison sentence, um, you didn't get high. No, the first three, the first three times I, I went to prison, I didn't get high. And so that's the thing, you know, a lot of people, they associate, because it's all about attachments, right? I think, wait, 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 the, the second time with, uh, the second time I, uh, I got, uh, I smoked a joint or a box out on the yard and I thought I was doing big things, Yeah, (laughs) but for the most part, right. And so you were sober for the most part. And so when we think about that, a lot of guys that do prison time, they have this misconception that because they didn't get high in prison, that they're going to get out. They haven't changed anything. They don't have any coping skills. They haven't. You know, the, everything they do in the real world is associated with getting with using. They haven't they don't know how to do anything sober. But what ends up happening when you do prison time, you don't have that attachment with getting high. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Some people, when they go to prison, they just don't have the attachments. So they don't get high. But everything is their attachments on the streets are getting high. Well, what I, what I would closely associate it with, the best way to describe it is, is when you when you know you're going to jail, you know, you're not going to be able to smoke or chew. Right. Yeah. Because it's all in your mind. It's all in part, your mind. From right. This point. And so but ultimately, there comes a point where you start attaching during prison time with getting high. But so this this sense right here, you do two and a half years. Um, you're not using the whole time. What was that? Do you remember anything that really sticks out to you from that two and a half year prison sentence in South? First off, it's a nice yard, right? It's it's a really nice yard, and they have a huge towel. It used to be an old military. Yeah, uh, an pine army trees. Break. Uh, there's pine trees everywhere. There's mountains. I can see the Graham Observatory. Yeah. You know, real low fence. Yeah. There, it's you know the only double fence is uh is uh where the gate is mm-hmm. to come in and out. You know, and I didn't do jack nothing there. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a TV. Uh, all I, all I had was yard hustle and, uh, and I didn't do nothing with my time and everybody kept trying to get me involved, you know, mandatory, they had this thing on their mandatory workout for, for on, on the weekends. Well, I purposely went and got a job as the, uh, visitor runner. Yeah. Uh, so you go, go get for, people for visitation for visits. Yeah. So just so I didn't have to work out. <laughs> <laughs> so basically we say that, you know, a lot of times prison time is wasted time. And then it could be valuable time when you take it like the big book says a few fortunate to be so situated. They give nearly all their time to this work Absolutely. and I'll translate it that people are out there dying every day and they could have recovered if they enjoyed the opportunity we so freely have. And so we wasted some prison time. I've wasted some time too myself. Um, but you get out after doing two and a half years, your, your parents are in Glendale, right? Mm-hmm. So you move back to Glendale, you're living with your parents and then um, I meet this chick. Again. <laughs> again. That's the second time you said that. Right. Well, I meet this chick, right? And uh I, I my mom my mom told me I was working and my mom told me one day cuz you know she's still drinking heavily and and uh and um there's there it, it's just a weird situation and uh one night I bring uh I got this little motorized scooter I got from Checker. I don't know if you guys remember what Checkers is now, but it's O'Reilly's, I think. But uh and uh I leave it at the house because I run off with this other chick to go get dope. Well it, it turns out to be a bust. I come back, my 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 gas powered scooter's gone and I'm I'm hey Tim, where the fuck? Yeah. My brother, where yeah. the fuck? My dad comes out and he puts his hands on me. Yeah. Well he's been doing it his whole life. You had enough. I had enough. I pulled off my leather jacket like I was freaking Tom Cruise and Top Gun, Top Gun and I just I hit him. Yeah. I hit him. I split his eye wide open. Okay, so there's got to be some consequences that come from that. Yeah, I I, I ended up going to jail, and they uh, and they really you know I county time, you know, yeah, you know county mul- time. multiple county times in yeah. between all this. But uh, I get out and I meet this chick, and I go back to my parents' house. I don't know why, but they. Uh, and I'm, I'm using drugs and everything. It, things are getting really bad at this point. And uh, I ended up getting an apartment over there on uh, Camelback. And like it's right right next to Alhambra High School. Yeah. Okay. And this chick's over. And we get into an argument because I, she thinks I'm doing dope. And yeah. it, believe it or not, at this time, I'm not. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to get my life back together. And she's telling me to strip. Well, my mind automatically goes into some ditch somewhere. Yeah. So I'm like, all right. And then she wants to see my wallet. And I'm like, okay. So I show her my wallet. She goes, well, where's the dope? I know you got dope. I fucking, I grab my wallet back and I tell her, beat it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I escort her out the door, right? Yeah. 
I don't beat on her. I don't do anything stupid because I learned. I, I thought I learned my lesson the first time. Yeah. Okay. And uh, next thing I know, uh, I'm over at the neighbor's house because we're talking mm-hmm. and everything. And he was like, you know, what happened last night? Because it got pretty. It got pretty loud. And these are concrete walls. This is an old apartment yeah. complex. And uh, I told him what had happened. He goes, well, you know, some chicks just, you know, want to drag you down, right? Or they get, they get it in their head. Just like dudes. It ain't just chicks. Dudes get it in their head. And once they get get bent on an idea, if they're not if they're not thinking straight, that they just that's that's what's happening. Whether regardless if it's not or whatever, that's what's happening. And the reason why you say that is because she actually put some accusations on you. Yep. Right. She put some accusations on you that you put her head through a wall 12 times or the, these were concrete walls. And she told the police because I, I, I changed my number. I, I blocked her, yeah. whatever. Three days later, I'm over at my neighbor's house. The cops show up and they, they're beating on my door. And the guy's looking out because he's at, you know, we were just talking about what had happened. And he's like, he ain't there, man. Why don't you guys beat it? Yeah. And this guy was like, well, can we come in your house and search? He's like, absolutely not. Yeah, you ain't coming <laughs> Get the in fuck here. out of here, dude. You ain't coming in here. Well, they take his name down and everything. I'm still hiding out in his place. Well, they leave, and I'm leaving too. And the cops walk right past me because they, they don't know who I am. And they arrest dude for an old warrant. Oh. Yeah. But uh turns out she accused me of domestic violence. She's tried to tell the officers that I put her head in this brick wall 12 times. Which didn't happen. It absolutely didn't. Well, I mean, I, I wish they could see. I'm not a tiny dude. Yeah, you're not. I'm not a tiny dude. And if I put it just once alone, there'd be, they had no evidence. So I go into, I go into my pretrial, whatever, whatever. Yeah. And we go to this little side pocket. Cause you, this lady comes out, Oh, I'm your attorney. And I'm like, Oh, okay, great. And you know, your pretrial attorney. Yeah. And she slaps this plea agreement on the table and says, Hey, they're offering 1.5. And I suggest you take it. And I'm like, what about the part where I didn't do it? Yeah. What about that? that? She's like, well, with your criminal history, Ron, it's not going to matter. I'm like, forget. We're taking this to trial, lady. You took it to the box. I took it to the box, bro. So So they give me this trial attorney, Benjamin Taylor, a black gentleman. He really tried his hardest um, with me, but I was the first case he lost. Really? Yeah. And so ultimately, when you take it to trial, right? And so you're out fighting this case. You end up getting back with your ex-wife, right? right. And I moved to Tucson because I'm changing location. Yeah, you moved to Tucson, but you're fighting this case the whole time, and ultimately ends up in trial. And you know, when you take it to trial, they spend a lot of money, and when you and when you make them spend money, they don't like that, so they end up giving you usually the aggravated sentence, right? When you lose. Based on your history with a previous domestic violence, the juvenile, all that stuff, they yeah. say they don't take that into consideration. Oh, but, but they do. But they do. Yeah, right. You got tried as a doll. You've already been to prison twice and a violation, and God knows how many county jail stints with violations of probation, and you take it to trial. Right. What do you think about that now? Well, see, what I I, I take it to trial, and for the first two days of trial, all it is is about my prior history. History. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the case. And all it comes down to when they put me on the stand is, well, did you do this? Well, uh, well I, uh, obviously, I, I got convicted for it or I yeah. pled guilty to it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So then when it came down to trial time, they put me on the stand. They put my dad on the stand. And my dad said for a fact that I didn't do that because, I mean, I try to explain to him, look at my son. Yeah. If he would have done that. 
you would know. Prosecutor got into his head because my dad, he's just, he's old school, man. He yeah. grew up in the 50s and 60s. He doesn't know the game. Yeah. Well, would you lie for your son? And my dad was like, oh, absolutely, I would. Yeah. <laughs> sure would. Sure would. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because my dad's being honest. Yeah. Because my dad's lied for me before. Yeah. But he was just being honest. So then the prosecutor tore into that. And the next thing you know, I got five years. So you got five years for a crime you didn't commit based on your history and the way it works in Arizona and the judicial proceedings. They don't really care if you got priors, you got history. You're guilty. You're guilty. So you catch five years, man, and they end up sending you to Kaibab out in uh, Winslow. And that is a pretty serious yard. Yep. And, uh, you know, get introduced to something when you're there. I... See, I fucked up when I got there because the first store shop I had, I ordered the Mac. You had some money on your books. Because I'd been working. Yeah. I'd been working for the union and uh and I, I I was on the straight and narrow. I'd I'd been clean. Yeah. yeah it was, besides the drinking, all the drinking yeah. I did on the weekends. Yeah. And that don't count though, because yeah. that's legal, right? Yeah. You're, but, you're uh, California sober? Uh yeah, it's California sober, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh I land there and then I get pulled off to the side because they, like I said, they always put me with the most political person on the yard. And I just so happen to land in the room with the guy that's running the, the running, running the, cause there's North and South yard. Yeah. So you end up with the head of the yard yep. is your celly. Yeah. It so took him three days to fucking you, even talk to me. So he checks your paperwork. Everything checks out. Everything's good. And then he sees that money. Yeah. You got that money on the books. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, here's some heroin. He was like, yeah, he was like, Hey, I can get you. Three street grams for $200, but you got to have it street to street. So that means you got to have your people on the streets send it to their people on the streets. <laughs> got on the cell phone? No. Right, on, right the on the phone. The blue phone? Yeah. I would just tell them. Well, see, back then it was different because you had, you can make up to five calls a day. Anybody. Yeah. You didn't have you, to have them approved. You, you they weren't approved. The they only had to be approved for a visitor. Yeah. You know, you could call anybody as long as you put the slip in with their number on it and they can enter it in the system. They didn't have to be approved on that. So my cousin. <laughs> yeah, so you call your cousin. He's starting to send money. Now you got it. You're introduced to heroin for the first time, and you're, yeah. and you're into you're in this you're into it. And uh, now you you know you got money. Mm-hmm. You know you know for me being a people pleaser and my validation through others and need for acceptance. And if anyone has ever done any prison time, you know that if you're the man with the dope, everybody's your friend. Everybody. So you weren't selling anything. I tried to sell a couple papers, but I still, I haven't, still got haven't got paid for that. No, yeah. <laughs> There were two 100 papers, and I fell for the I, the guy, oh, I'll get you. And then he came the next week and was like, hey, I don't have that, but can I get another one? I was like, yeah, sure, why not, bro? I'm thinking, yeah, you know. He's I'm, solid. Yeah, he's solid. Yeah. Yeah. And so you end up, uh, you know, just like everything, it goes so good till it goes so bad. Your money's good till your money's not good, right? right. And so once you've spent a lot of money, they've seen a lot of money, they see mm. how much money you're bringing in, they see that you can send street money you can make moves you can get on the phone and make a phone call so now you got that platinum card got a platinum card so that and means your credit's off the chain you can get whatever you want anytime you want whenever i want and they don't and the the guys there don't want me going to visit sick yeah and at the time I, my i'm back together with my ex-wife we're, we're we're official now we're married yeah you know i get to i get to hold my son yeah you know for the first time and visit and uh and that was man that I remember that. So I never forget that. You never forget those moments. No. 
And so, you know, they don't want you to be sick at visit because you're bringing in tattoo ink. You go, first off, you're in debt 800 bucks minimum at all times, guarantee it. Yeah. So in order to, you know, not have to you know, have negate those, some of yeah, those expenses, you got to do some hustle on the yard. So you have your, your girl, your, your you know, ex-wife now bringing you in tattoo ink, right? Anything yeah. you can do. Um, and ultimately, you know, like I said, it goes so bad at some point, you end up in the hole, right? They don't let, you know, whole time is never fun. Nope. And then from there, they move you to Manzanita, right? And it's the same thing when you hit down on that yard too, right? It's yeah. just right back into it. Well, I, I want to throw this out there for all you guys. And I'm not knocking it, but I kind of am. I'm, I'm going to take a shot at right now for all you guys on some boxing and subutex and Valtrag, all that, all that tech shit. I had to kick heroin in the old fashioned way. With nothing in the hole, locked in a hole, cold sweats, b- burning up, going nodding off, thinking I'm getting hours of sleep, waking up. It's only been ten minutes, mm. and that lasted for like fourteen days. Yeah, it ain't, it ain't fun. It ain't. It's no and joke. It's crazy because of our disease. I call it the built-in forgetter. It talks about that in the big book. We can't bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago, or without defense, we'll forget those 14 days and how shitty it was. We'll forget how good it feels to be sober. We'll forget how good it feels to hold our, our daughter for the first time. Son. son, excuse me, son for the first time. We'll forget all those things and we'll go back and try it again. Think we one more time, one buddy. More time. I got be, this. It's going to be different. I got this. It's going to be different. And so, you know, ultimately, man, you, you end up at Lewis Complex. You know, the ex-wife is holding you down. Everything's going good. And then it goes so bad. You know, this is an event that followed you and caused you a lot of pain yep. um, for a long time. You catch an assault on an officer. Yeah. Um, I was working chow hall and I was a diet cook. The PM diet cook. So basically I was there from and they, they just started the two meals. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you were coming in. I, they hadn't worked out the they. Yeah. You were coming getting a hot breakfast. And then you were getting a sack lunch, okay, at the time, because I was on a three yard, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm coming in and I'm doing the diet sacks, and I'm like, I talked to the head white shirt, I'm like, hey, uh, how about I come in at noon and then leave at six thirty when, when because I'm the only one in there, yeah, you know, and I can't leave because I'm freaking diet guy, right? Yeah. And he's like, no problem. Well, one of the officers, uh, Valdez, um knew about that and he didn't like it at all so this day and on this day he makes an announcement over the intercom saying all kitchen workers report to the kitchen that means all kitchen workers report to the kitchen there will not be a later turnout yeah that was that was a shot right at me yeah so you knew it so there's already some tension he says something slick to you and then what happens well he's escorting me out because i go in the kitchen and i tap on the window you know because i'm i'm the fucking I'm diet, the, cook. You're the diet cook yeah. i'm the fucking diet cook yeah and i look at him and say hey can i you know talk to you and he goes what what do you want carter why don't you fucking want? you're a fucking cook you're not a diet cook because you know i was a cook but uh, i was a diet long it's weird but uh he goes why don't you go fucking cook something and i I was like, okay. And at this point, my head's like spinning. I'm like, what do I do? Because I have no coping skills. Right. I've never dealt with any any situations without sticking a needle in my arm or hurting somebody. So I go to walk away. And he's like, no, you know what? Matter of fact, Carter, you're out of here. I'm, you're, I'm sending you home. And so we're walking out. And I'm like, hey, dude, who's your supervisor? He goes, Sergeant White. And I'm like, all right. 
we get to the door and I'm walking out the door and I go, okay, can you call him for me? He goes, absolutely not. I was like, all right. And then I'm, I'm out the door and I got my back against the thing and I'm trying to figure out, okay, what's my next move now? <laughs> Cause I'm trying to keep my job. It's 50 cents an hour, yeah. you know? And, uh, he gets right in my face about two inches away. And he tells me and you're on report, you know, like, like I'm some fucking lame or yeah. something, you know? And I, what for? And he goes, I don't have to tell you that. Like, you know, Mr. Yeah. Fucking Joe Cool, right? Yeah. And I, he walks back into the chow hall, and there's another officer holding the chow hall door open and letting the other, hey, motherfucker, check this out. And I follow him in there, and I pop him right in his grill. So you busted a cop in the mouth. After that, though, the only thing that saved me is I only hit him once. I turned around. I walked over to the other officer. I got on my knees, and I put my hands on my head. And so you got cuffed up. Got and cuffed up. They don't like assault on officers. Oh, no, they don't. No, they're not a fan of that. No. <laughs> no, they're not. And so ultimately, you spend the next two and a half years in SMU, super max unit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, they're not going to give you, I mean, you beat up a cop. Yeah. So you're not getting your blankets. You're not getting any treatment. days. They don't hear you. They don't see you. They don't talk to you. They don't, they throw your, they throw your TV around. They don't yeah, give it. They, they don't. They, they don't care. They let the sex offenders go through all my store. So take all your stuff. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have a sweatshirt. They, they, they I took got pilfered. You got, you took for everything. Yeah, two and a half years, mm-hmm. single man cell by yourself. They wouldn't let me have a cellie for the first eighteen months. So eighteen months, you're in the hole, supermax unit, no movement. Showers come right to your cell. No, no, you. It's 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 a it's a it's a cluster and there's four rooms on top and there's four rooms on bottom in the in SMU one. I didn't go to SMU two. Yeah. I went to SMU one where all the really messed up people go the worst of the worst go. And I'm not talking about as far as convict mentality, I'm talking talking about about human beings, period. You know, the poo flingers and the pea shooters and all all this stuff, right? The shitters and the spitters. But they when you cuff up, you gotta get behind. They yeah. cuff you from behind. You gotta yeah. stay facing away from the officer at all time. They open the door, you step back, you turn, you walk to the shower, you step in, in the shower, they shut the door, hands through the you. slot. Right. And then when you go out to wreck, because I thought, hey, I'm gonna beat them. I'm gonna go out to wreck. I'm gonna see some trees or something, right? It's a fucking concrete wall, dude. Yeah. It's twenty feet high. Two and a half years. And you get released from SMU after two and a half years. And I mean, you had the big book and you start reading it then. You start a little bit, you know. Literature, studying. Literature, studying, reading, because you got nothing else. But nothing. Nothing else. And there's do. nothing on TV there. I took every ETV course you could possibly imagine. Yeah, I mean, you did everything you could do. Limited resources. But I don't think, I mean, for everyone who's listening to this, two and a half years in the hole, bro. Mm-hmm. I mean, that ain't no joke. That was a wake-up call. You went through some changes. Yeah. Went through some changes, some mental changes, too. Yeah. I I was broke for a minute. Yeah. But I wasn't going to fling poo or do all that crazy stuff or be a cell warrior and beat on the door at all hours of the night. Thank God. I don't know this nurse's name, but God bless her. She gave me a set of earplugs, and I'll never forget that. That was the nicest thing anybody did for me while I was there. Two and a half years. And so you end up getting released, and... You know, you get out and it's mm-hmm. the same thing. Right. Well, see, I'm real good at getting out of prison and getting off paper. Yeah. You know, so, so I get, get out. Probation. I get out. I'm, I'm back in Tucson. You know, I get off parole. 
mm-hmm. you know, because I'm working right at the Tucson Fleet Management Fleet Services where they work on all the cop cars and the garbage trucks and all uh-huh. their, you know, t- city of Tucson work vehicles and stuff. And I'm putting the AC in there. I'm doing the duct work, man. And there's always that one dude on the job site that you, know, that you know gets on. And so you already know, and, uh, you know, you get released and ultimately, you know, you get off probation, parole, parole, you get yeah, off parole, and right? you have that dude pick you up. I got off parole and it was been like two weeks and I, I'm just thinking, huh, we can do a little bit. Yeah. And I just want to smoke some, yeah. you know, I'm not going to slam it or anything. Yeah. Hey man, do you fuck around? Oh, he's like, yeah, bro, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, that easy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so, Hooked, know, right, hooked right, right back into the game. And so, and into- I was, and I was, and I divorced my wife too when I got out of prison that time. Uh, because I, it's a different kind of, you know, there's a dishonesty when you're, when you're, you're face to face with somebody and they just, you know, they don't, you know, cause I was a violent person, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it's one thing to do it face to face, but wouldn't, wouldn't over the phone. I do not like being lied to. Yeah. And the whole, you know, and all I was asking for was $20. I just need $20. I want stamps and stamps and envelopes because then I can start my, my entrepreneurship from there yeah. because I can start paper pimping from there. Yeah. But uh, she yeah. wouldn't even do that for me. So that, that was it. You get divorced. So you're divorced. Now you get out, you get off parole, mm-hmm. you relapse and you're right back into the meth. And we're talking going hard in the paint. Hard. We're talking super hard. And so in 2015, <laughs> 2015, yeah. you catch a case. And I want you to tell that story. And this is how we're going to close out the first part. And what happens? At uh, Okay, I'm living out of a storage shed at this point at uh, off of 43rd Avenue in Dunlap. And uh, I'm just, I'm amped to the gill. And I got a pocket full of dope. And I'm just, so me and this chick get in the, truck and we take off driving because i just want to get away but i want to stay can't make up my mind so i'm making rights and lefts and i'm just cruising for a spot to kick it a nice where nobody else is at and i can just get high and do my tweak thing right mm-hmm. and i see this parking lot it's blood it's dark you know and everything and right around the corner so i can see all the angles yeah. and the parking lot's facing the right way and i mean it looked like a perfect spot a perfect spot so i pull in and I don't know how long I was there. And I look over in my side view mirror and I see this fully uniformed police officer, Phoenix police. And I'm like, and I do a double take. Cause I'm thinking, Oh, they're, you know, the mind's going like, how long has this dude been watching me? You know what I'm saying? He's probably calling for backup. And I look up <laughs> and I see all the freaking cop cars. I was in the cactus park precinct parking lot. So you pulled over in the parking lot of the police department. Yeah. Tweaking, doing the worm. Yeah. Going through all your tweaker stuff. Uh-huh. And you're in the police department parking lot. Yes. Yes. True story. True story. The kicker of it is, is I back up because I think I'm going to be smooth, you know, smooth and yeah. fucking pull out. Yeah. And the officer comes up and puts my hand. Now, this is my higher power. Yeah. Officer comes up and puts his hand on my window. And he says, are you all right? And I give him the best, like, I'm not tweaked, but tweaked look that I can give him. And he's like, I need you to step out of the car. Yeah. <laughs> and so you catch a case, you get arrested. So they do, they have to do a blood draw because I'm not, 
I'm not. I'm not, not out. Drunk. It's, it's. I'm not drunk. Yeah. So you blow. You blow zeros on a breathalyzer. Blow zeros. But they do take blood, and so that ends in up in my car, back, in, in my truck. Car yeah. God knows what's in there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're talking about being so out of it that you pull over in the police department parking lot, and you're getting high in the parking lot at the police department. Yep. And so I want everyone to really think about that. We're talking about everything that this man's been through. Uh, you know, the, the the trauma at home, the the dysfunction. Um, the juvenile prison, the Durango trips, the Dobie Mountain trips, the first prison sentence, catching, <laughs> you know, catching a, your DOC number when you're 18 years old, getting tried as an adult for a crime you committed when you're 17, violating probation, going from a violator's yard to a high custody yard, then back and do another two and a half years, and you do a five year prison sentence in Kaibab for something I didn't do, for something you didn't do, but you took it to trial, and now you do two and a half years in Supermax unit. And then ultimately you get released and now you catch another case. You're getting high in the parking lot of the police department. <laughs> Phoenix police department. So I just want everyone to really think about this first part of this episode because part two, the transformation that takes place, the miracle that's that I was, I was able to play a small part in and witness to mm. be the type of man that you are today and the miracles that you get to experience on a day-to-day basis in your life is nothing but short of the hand of God. And I just hope that everybody tunes into part two and witnesses the miracle happen in your life. So tune into part two. Part two will be dropping two days after this one's released.